0: Together, we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us in Appleton and Stevens Point, and let's. Recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will be of no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here this morning. I have our ushers get ready to come forward and take our morning offering. This is something we normally do at the end of the service, but during the season of Advent, we do it in the middle because we save the end for our special offerings for our Advent uh, offering, legacy offering that we are taking. Uh, Last week was our first one. We got today and two more Sundays to go. Our goal this year is not a financial amount. Our goal is 100% Participation that everyone does something. So we started last week, we're up to a bruising 8%. (laughs) Got a ways to go. It's all right, we got three more here, counting this one. And if most of you are like me, you wait till the last one anyway. But anyway, that's our goal everyone do something. So say, well, how much should we give? Just whatever you can as a gift, as part of your Christmas giving this year, you remember God, you remember the kingdom of God. The church, our outreaches, we want to leave a legacy, something that lasts long past us. Some of you are in a great position to be very generous this year, others not so much, but whatever you can do, uh, just determine it in your heart as God has made it available to you. Uh, and that's what we'll be doing at the end of the service. So, anyway, let's take our regular offerings now. Father, we are grateful that you've given us ways to earn income, the jobs that we have, the labor that we can put forth, and that we can benefit. The fruits from that. We now give back to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with because we are grateful and we want to honor you this morning with our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can pass those around. All right, this morning I'm reading to you from Mark, the Gospel of Mark, about John the Baptist. We're going to talk about that on our second Sunday of Advent. Uh, We read in the Gospel of Mark, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, so he starts at the very beginning, as it is written in the prophets, and he starts quoting from the Old Testament, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And again, he quotes the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make, paths, make his paths straight. So he starts talking about Jesus' coming, the prophecies of the Messiah are about to be fulfilled, but before that, Someone is going to come and prepare the way. And he talks about him. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. All the land of Judea and, all, and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confess, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed in camel's hair, kind of a gnarly guy, with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying... There comes one after me who is mightier than I am, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. He says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So a brief introduction to John the Baptist there. To really learn more, we read from the Gospel of Luke, where he gets very detailed, backs up, and starts how John even came into this world Talking about his parents, there were in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, however you say that. His wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God. These are good people walking in all the commands and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. What does that mean? It means the circus has closed and moved on, all right? No more activity <laughs> in the womb. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, it, his lot fell to burn incense when they went into the temple of the Lord. So they served, and they were, he was part of this group that they would rotate their time of service in the temple, and they'd come for prayers, and one guy would go in and offer up incense while everyone else prayed outside. So that's what we see here. So it's uh, Zacharias' turn. Uh, The whole multitude of the people were praying outside the uh, the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appears to Zacharias standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias, saw him, he was troubled. That's an understatement. (laughs) fear fell on him. It shocked him. He's supposed to be the only one in there. Have you ever gone into a room where you're absolutely convinced no one else is there and you turn and someone else is there? It's a little creepy. My cat used to freak me out. what are you doing there? You know, and uh, so he was afraid. Now every time, we all think, man, wouldn't it be great if you could see an angel? Apparently not, because every time someone sees an angel, everyone goes, ah, because you're not, you know, if they would just come slowly, but they pop out of nowhere and scare the willies out of whoever is there. The angel says to him, as they always do, do not be afraid. (laughs) Easy for you to say. Uh, For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you as... My prayer is heard? Hello. They've been praying for decades. They've been asking God for a child, asking and asking and waiting, and now they are well advanced in years. The circus has left town. Everything is closed up. We aren't expecting any more prayers at this point. And this angel shows up. Hey, we heard your prayers. Now you hear my prayers. i to tell you, something about God. His timetable is completely different than ours. If I were running this show, after I pray 15 minutes, there's the answer, all right? That's the way I would do it. But God is not on Marky's timetable. He has his own timetable. The good news here is apparently it's never too late. Now, clearly, sometimes we get into situations where we've prayed and we pray and we think things have gotten so, it's just too late. Listen to me. It's never too late with God. Well, how come he's not here? I don't know. He has, his timing is different. You know, the three Hebrew children get, well, they weren't children. I don't always say this, Old Testament stories. These three guys were thrown into the fiery furnace, and then God shows up. I would have preferred he show up before. All right? But, you know, Daniel, God delivers him from the lions then. I would pray before the lions. How about we show up then? before you throw me in there. But you know, it's always that way. God just comes, you know, poor Lazarus, you know? Nobody wants to die. God shows up after he's dead and raises him back from the dead. I mean, who knows? Don't get discouraged. God has not forgotten about you. So anyway, he comes to him and says, it's never too late, we've heard your prayer, and uh, your wife is going to bear a son. We're gonna call him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He, uh, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. This is the only person recorded in the Bible, in all of history, that someone was actually filled with the Spirit of God before they were born. It made him a very unique individual. And also created some strange dynamics, which i will point out in a little bit, but... Uh, It says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go out before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Notice the wording here. He will go out in the spirit and the power of Elijah. We'll talk about Elijah in just a minute. To do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Now, that seems very nice, simple thing to say, a reasonable thing to say. But that's not the way it comes across. I don't know if it's a a breakdown in the translation and stuff like that. His response basically was, yeah, right. Okay? So he doesn't believe him. And he can tell he doesn't There's something snarky in the way he says this. He said, I'm an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. The circus is closed. Okay? And the angel answered him, you little twit. I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I came all the way down here to talk to you. And behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. So he basically says, zip it. And it was zipped. (laughs) His mouth wasn't closed, but he couldn't talk because you did not believe my words, which would be fulfilled in their own time. Now, the people are outside praying, right? They're waiting for him to come out, and they marveled that he lingered so long. Where is he? What's going on? But when he came out... He could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple because he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was soon, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he finishes his time uh, and then he goes back to his house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months. This is pretty shocking. And it's actually not unusual, especially women who've had a hard time giving birth or had many miscarriages when they become pregnant. They generally don't say anything because they want to see if it's going to stay. And uh, so she waits for at least five months. And it says, says, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Now we're going to jump, take a big jump uh, in the story down to verse 57. In the middle is when they talk about an angel coming to Mary and announcing the Christ. But we're focusing on John the Baptist here. So anyway, in verse 50, 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. I mean, what are the odds of her having a child at her age? So it was on the eighth day, that was the tradition, they would come to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zechariah, so they have this tradition. They come, they do this, that's when they name the child. Uh, Some Christian traditions, you know, who baptize babies do this as well. They have a, that's when they officially give him his Christian name, um, you know, at baptism. So that's the kind of thing that's going on here. So they said, well, let's call him Zacharias because, you know, that's the dad's name. And uh, Elizabeth says, no, he shall be called John. They they said, "There's, there's no one among your relatives called John. And so they go to Pops. And I say, they made signs and said, what do you want him to be called? And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying, his name is John. Because that's what the angel said. And they all marveled. And immediately, his mouth was open. And now he could talk, just like the angel had said. And he spoke, praising God. And fear came upon all those who dwelt around him. Wow, what is going on here? And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And then Zechariah starts praising God and prophesies over his son. He says, a new child will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Though, tender, though through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation. So here he grows up in this desert area doing what I have no idea. He uh, wears camel skin, you know, with a leather belt, that's it. And he eats locusts and wild honey. Someone said to me, well, there's a tree over there called the locust tree. Uh, and maybe there was the pods that he ate. Uh, and then, of course, the other version is he's eating bugs, which there are people around the world who actually do eat locusts. Now, say, well, where is he finding honey and all this stuff in the desert? Well, when they, their version of desert meant wilderness. It was like a, a forsaken place, you know, crivets. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, <Where, where laughs> hey, if your version of going south and let's go to Green Bay, you're on the desert, okay? You're, we're way out there. And uh, my wife's from up there. <laughs> so anyway, so it's just this forsaken area. There's enough where there's plants and water and stuff for him to survive. But it's the wilderness, or as translated many times, desert. When we think of desert, we think of the Sahara Desert, nothing but sand and camels. And that's, that's not obviously what that was. But it wasn't a very comfortable place. Uh, so anyway, John the Baptist, fascinating person. Now, there's more about John in the uh, other Gospels, and you put them all together. Uh, I was reading this thing, a summary by a guy named uh, William Simmons, who does a great job of putting it all together. Let me read to you from some of this. He says, apart from Jesus Christ, John the Baptist is probably the most theologically significant figure in the Gospels. As was the case with Jesus, his birth is meticulously recorded. We just read uh, a big part of it. His entrance into the world was marked by angelic proclamation. you know, that's a big deal. Most people don't have angels showing up uh, announcing them before they're born or even conceived. Uh, John's birth not only parallels that of Jesus, but also echoes the momentous occasion of the birth of Isaac. You remember Abraham and Sarah, also very old. Abraham at this point is, you know, he's a 100 years old, okay? And uh, yet he sires Isaac into the world, as was promised. So it's, it's a significant, this is a big deal. And the people of the day knew this, this is, how often does this happen? They don't see this, so they don't have infertile, you know, <laughs> advanced medicine techniques and stuff like that. This just happened the good old-fashioned way. And here's this lady who shouldn't be having a child. She gets pregnant, gives birth to this boy. This is something significant. John is clearly a pivotal figure in the salvation history of God. Now, although his formative years were lived in obscurity in the desert, whatever that is, we don't know what he's doing, now, his public ministry ended nearly 400 years of prophetic silence. So what happens if you read the Old Testament, Genesis all the way up to Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament. Not of the Bible, but in the Old Testament. And then the next book of the Bible is Matthew in the New Testament. There's 400-year gap there. For 400 years, there has been no prophetic voice in Israel. No one has prophesied. No one's heard from God. There's been nothing dramatic happening at all. It's a long period of silence for them. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist shows up. So, um, uh, in this sense, his message and ministry marked the culmination of the law and the prophets, but heralded the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. So, John was a trans- transitional figure, formally linking the Old and the New Testaments. He spans the ages with one foot firmly planted in the Old Testament. The other squarely planted in the new. This is the guy who ties it all together. The central theme of his ministry was repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to stop going that direction. Turn around. Go a different direction. You're going this way, and then I'm not going to go this way anymore. I'm going to go this way. It's called repenting. It is a key element of the salvation experience. If when you come to Christ, there is no sense of, I'm going to quit going this way. I'm going to start going this way. Then you're probably in a very weak place. Uh, well, I believe in Jesus. A lot of people believe in Jesus, but they've never repented. That's a problem. You need to have this. And John starts out talking about this message of repentance. Uh, he was called the Baptist because he did this practice where people who would come to repent, confessor says he would baptize them in water. And of course, he eventually baptizes Jesus in water. And this continues to this day Um, john conducted his ministry with an authority that demanded immediate action he was intense he wasn't a warm and fuzzy tv preacher i guarantee you he was (laughs) intense he's yelling at people Uh, he doesn't really care what anybody thinks of him Uh, he taught that judgment it was at hand the axe he said is laid to the roots and god will thoroughly purge his threshing floor he's coming here to clean house. And the authenticity of repentance was evidenced in very practical terms. He would tell them specifically what to stop doing and what to start doing. He said, man, you need to share with people who have need. You need to stop getting dishonest gain and stop exhort, extorting people and all the different problems that they were having. He called it out by name. Now, John's lifestyle obviously was uh, a very austere uh, <laughs> picture. He was what we call an aesthetic. These are people who purposely live miserably or whatever people do this they they intentionally want to live this way you've heard of people who've taken vows of poverty so they intentionally just want to live simply and not have anything uh and that's that's what he did uh jesus was totally the different uh in fact it really shocked people Uh, unlike jesus john expected people to come to him but jesus went to people Jesus wanted every, We are still supposed to have that attitude as Christians. We're not supposed to just sit here and wait for everybody to come in here. We are supposed to be reaching out to our world, inviting friends and family in, like, which was a great thing yesterday with the uh, ladies, uh, women's extravaganza. They invited all these people, 8 almost 900 women in here. We're talking serious estrogen, all right? And, uh, and, and inviting friends. And, and that's how they become exposed to the gospel, to hear the good news about Christ. So John didn't do that. He just said I and said, come to me. I don't know who's the first guy who heard him, but when he spoke, it was powerful. There was something about John the Baptist that was just off the charts. And people would hear him go, oh, my goodness. Obviously, it was the power and the Spirit of God in his life, but he was just out there yelling at people to stop it. <laughs> stop doing this bad stuff. You need to get your heart right with God. And everyone, whoa. So this red word spread, and they came by the multitudes. They had to go out to see him in the wilderness. Jesus went to people. John, you know, locust, bug eater, whatever, uh, and uh, and wild honey. Jesus came eating and drinking. And in fact, it was rather shocking to some people. They said, he's a glutton, someone who eats too much. And he's a drunkard because he drank. People do this, you know. They like to condemn others, other religious people especially, you know. If you're drinking, you're, a, you're an alcoholic. No, no, there are alcoholics, but just because one drinks doesn't make you an alcoholic or whatever. So they criticized Jesus this way. Um, uh, he confronted the religious leaders of his day. Jesus also did this as well, but John was really intense, so much that Herod cut his head off. <laughs> Talk about taking off the mayor. Man, oh man. All these characteristics portray John as a fiery prophet proclaiming the epo- ap- apocalyptic. Apocalyptic message of God indeed Luke says that John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah Now this is an interesting thing because remember it said in the spirit and the power of Elijah There is that last book in the Old Testament Malachi Talks about the Messiah coming this is the next big event He said but before he comes Elijah will come Now this is interesting so they're all waiting for Elijah to come And um, they even asked John Are you Elijah? Just I'm not Elijah. Well, he wasn't physically Elijah, but he was certainly in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And they asked Jesus, "You're the Messiah, but it says the, Elijah has to come." He, Jesus said, "He did come. He was John the Baptist." So now, in the Old Testament, a lot of prophecies, prophecies get real confusing. If you really want to get in the details of, you know, a heavy thinker, check out the prophecies of the Bible. They're a fascinating read. Just don't get weird. So many people get into that, just turn into weirdos. They don't, have you met these people? They're just weird. Don't be weird. How do you tell a weird person not to be weird? I don't know, just just don't be weird. So anyway, they, they study these things. And oftentimes they have dual meaning. So it gets a little kind of confusing to to understand this. And in this sense, this idea about Elijah has a dual meaning. Let me explain. Now, if you're new to faith and don't know much about the Bible, just hang on, you know, if none of this makes sense. It'll be like the rest of my sermons. All right, but I'll get you through. But the rest of you guys who understand this, it'll kind of put things together. So this is what happens. In the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation speaks about how all these things are going to end, how the world's going to come to an end. Uh, And it's not going to be global warming. Relax, all right? Why don't you freak out about that? We read the end. We know how it ends, you know? Like somebody watching a scary movie, they don't know how it ends, they're all freaked out. The other ones who saw it already are sitting there like this. So we're kind of like that. We're not freaking out about stuff they say is going to end the world. That's not how it goes up. You want to find out how it goes up? Read a book of Revelation. Anyway, a lot of it is symbolic and stuff, but there's some very specific stuff. And it talks about this man who's going to come out of nowhere into world prominence. And every time that happens, over the last 2,000 years, Christians have pondered, is this the Antichrist? Because you don't know. The latest one, you know, was uh, President Obama. This isn't a political thing. Trump, everybody knew who he was, you know. But uh, uh, nobody ever heard of Obama. And all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, this guy becomes the leader of the free world. Uh, And I remember Christians saying, I wonder if this could be the Antichrist. Thankfully, he wasn't. But uh, that's that's what's going to happen. Someone like from nowhere, absolute nowhere, boom, is going to become the most powerful man in the world. And he's going to dominate the world at a level of wickedness that no one has ever seen before. And we've seen some nasty ones on this earth. I hope I'm long gone before any of that stuff happens. But uh, it's going to be very, very intense. He says, it's a man, very specific. And here's the number of the man, 666. What does that mean? I don't know. But I think when he shows up, we're all going to go, oh, that's what that meant. You know what I'm saying? I think it's going to be fairly obvious to those who are still here. Again, I'm hoping for the early exit plan. But uh, (laughs) I I don't want to see any of this creepy stuff. So this guy, is the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket. Before the end. This is just before Jesus arrives. And then it says that two uh, witnesses, two men are going to show up and just start preaching. And I mean, they are kicking butt and taking names. And they're trying to stop these guys, and nobody can stop them. Who are these two guys? Well, there's two guys in the Bible that actually is recorded have never died. First one was Enoch. He's walking with God, and all of a sudden, God takes him. Doesn't say he died. And the second one was Elijah. Elijah is this real intense prophet. And the way he goes out is a chariot, a fiery chariot comes down. So you get that old spiritual swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. They there, you know, there were slaves on the men. They wanted to get an Uber out of there, too. You know what I'm saying? So, so God sends Uber down in flames and takes Elijah out of there. Now, where are these guys right now? I don't know. They're up there somewhere. And, hi, I'm Elijah. I'm Enoch. How you doing? You know, and they're just, and my guess is because God ties time. To, they're probably, it's probably been like five minutes to them. Like, and all of a sudden, oh, we're going back. And they're going to show up. So again, I don't know what the actual time frame is going to be, but I think to them, this is like nothing. So these two guys, no one's ever heard of, all of a sudden pop up and they are kicking butt and taking, I think it's those two characters. And they try to kill them, they can't kill them. And then eventually it says they kill them, uh, is what it says. And then it says the whole world will see it. The whole earth will see it. Now, people have mocked the Bible for thousands of years. You don't think for the last 18, 1900 years people have mocked that part of the Bible? There's no way the whole world could see what happens to two guys. Now we have CNN, and who knows if they'll even show it right. And then, you know, the other ones where. <laughs> the whole world is going to see this event now we read that oh yeah that makes sense up until 75 years ago, it didn't even make any sense how can this even happen now we know it will happen in living color and they'll be playing it replay after replay uh and then after i think they're says they're laying around there for a couple of days and then they pop back up it's part of it's gonna be cool i just hope i'm watching from heaven that's all so anyway, and then Jesus comes back. So I think at that point, that's the literal prophecy of Elijah will come, and then Jesus will come, uh, uh, the second advent that we talk about. So all that. If I lost you, that's all right. Anyway, so uh, uh, John absolutely tells people, I'm not Elijah, but Jesus said he is Elijah, the spirit and power. And remember, the angel said he will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, not that he'd necessarily be Elijah. So it's kind of a dual-meaning thing here. So anyway, uh, in this way, Jesus acknowledges the central role that John played in God's plan of salvation. He was, a great, he was the greatest born among women, Jesus said, yet Jesus said he will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? All kinds of theory, uh, theories on that, but we won't get into that. So John fully accepted his subordinate role to Christ, um, uh, Jesus was so different than John. John, at one point, started doubting. He said said to his disciples, are are you really the Messiah? I mean, because he's so different than John, and he's doing everything so different, he has a real crisis of faith at one point. So even, you know, sometimes you feel bad because you have a little crisis of faith. You're in pretty good company (laughs) when John the Baptist has this moment of doubt. You're fine, all right? Just hang in there. Good news is you're not likely to lose your head. All right? Anyway, so as fascinating as the life of John the Baptist was, his main purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus to come, which finally brings me to my one point of this whole message. (laughs) 25 minutes of rambling. To to my one point. And what is my point? God was intentional. Intentional. This speaks about intentionality. God sent John to prepare the way. In other words, the first advent of Jesus didn't just happen, it happened on purpose. And if there's one thing my heart so desires for all of you to hear and just really adapt into your life is do life on purpose. Be intentional. Life just doesn't happen. So many people all of life just, just whatever, whatever. (laughs) I'll sing the song in the first service. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. K sera, sera. Sing along if you know it. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. K sera, sera. Now, if you're under 30, you have no idea what we just did, all right? (laughs) What what kind of song is that? It was a hit song back in the, was it, 50s, 60s? I can't remember. But uh, Doris Day, cute little Doris Day. It's a song about just, Whatever happens going to happen. <laughs> 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 and people live their lives that way. And, and it's, it's bad. Listen, if you want to succeed in life, you have to do it on purpose. Be intentional. Even God was very intentional. Jesus is coming, we need to get everything ready. He sends this prophet John, and he gets everything set and ready to go. It was intentional. You want to have a successful life? You do it on purpose. It's not that you're not lucky, and somebody, oh, Jesus so lucky. They're not lucky. They're intentional. All the people in life who succeed do it on purpose. You want a great career? Do it on purpose. Make yourself valuable to people so they pay you more money. But not in today's culture. We think, well, if if you pay me more money, I'll work harder. Duh. It doesn't work that way. Anybody who's ever hired people knows it doesn't work that way. The people who get raises are the ones who make them invaluable. Everybody else waiting. Our culture, they go, if they pay me more, I go in more hours and I work harder. And just do, 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 do K, zero, zero. <laughs> You want to be successful with your finances? Be intentional. You know, there's people who have $100,000 a year and the people who make $50,000 a year. I know a lot of people at $50,000 are more financially secure than those who make $100 plus. They have their houses paid for. They have no credit card debt. Just, they live very successfully. The people with twice or three times the money in debt up to their eyeballs and can't make ends meet and are just a mess. Those guys are lucky. What, the people who make half what you make, those are the lucky ones? No, they're just intentional. They do it on purpose. We have classes here uh, at Celebration every so often where we uh, call fina- what is it called? Financial peace, whatever. Man, if you're struggling with your money, come to that thing. It's not about us getting money out of you. <laughs> I don't want to go to that. <laughs> it's I'll show you how to handle money. How to be successful with money? You do it on purpose. You want a great marriage? You gotta be intentional. Everybody thinks, well, if I just find the right idiot, I'll be happy. Pastor, I'm so miserable. I wrong married the wrong idiot. I should've married the other idiot. Stop. The reason your marriage stinks is because you're doing stinky things. Pastor, what's my marriage bad? You ever spend time with each other? No. You ever go on dates together? No. You ever sit and talk to each other? No. So why are we having problems? (laughs) Good heavens. The people who are great, oh, they're so lucky. They're not lucky. They do what you don't do. They're intentional. You got to do this stuff on purpose, which means you actually have to talk to the woman. Some of you boys, I see the pain on your face. But... (laughs) called the conversation, Pastor. I want to. I want to. I want I want to be more blessed and have more spiritual life. Do you ever pray? No. Do you ever read your Bible? No. Do you come to church? Yes. I come to church four times a year, whether I need it or not. Oh, for heaven's sakes! You want God to bless you and you want to be successful in life, you do it on purpose. I'm telling you the problem in our culture today is we are a K Sera Sera culture. K Sera. We start singing that at the beginning of football games instead of the national anthem. K Sera, I it was going to happen. And by the way, football teams win on purpose. They don't go out there and go, I don't know, what are you guys doing in And to pick on the youngest, We've got some young ones—they I'm not picking on anyone in particular. I'm picking on all y'all at once. <laughs> Talk about a generation today that has no idea what they're doing. No idea. And it's not their fault. It's their parents' fault. It's almost the grandparents' fault. We have a whole generation today. They're at 20, 25, 30, and they have no idea what they're doing. What do you do? I don't know. I don't know. Good night. 32 years of age, still living with mom in the basement. Come on. What are you doing? Some of these guys are going to college, spending an ungodly amount of money, all borrowed money. They're going to have to pay for the next 40 years. What are you studying? I don't know. What's your major? I haven't decided yet. What do you want to do for a career? Oh, 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 I don't know. We're supposed to have a career? And going dead while doing it. What in the world is wrong? We've lost our ever-loving minds in this country. Now, some of you geezers anywhere near my age, born in the early 1800s. <laughs> right? And when we graduated from school at age, you had a pretty good idea what you wanted to do, right? You had a plan. You know what you wanted to do. You want, now, you may not have actually ended up doing that, you know, some of these young people say, well, make a decision. Well, I don't know why do I want to be doing that in thirty years? <laughs> you may not be doing it in five. but nobody sticks with the original. Very few people. You change, you grow, but you got to make a decision. You got to be intentional. Here's a plan. Make the plan. Work the plan, and then watch everything fall apart as the plan shifts. That's it. That's life. That's why life is considered hard. Has anyone heard this before? Life is hard. But they grow up with what their parents have, and they think that's what they get when they graduate. <laughs> no. No, no, we raise you up, and then we send you out so you can be incredibly poor. <laughs> and we laugh at you while you're poor. Why? Because that's what we did, right? How many of you remember your first piece of furniture was a beanbag? <laughs> Go ahead, raise those hands. Be, yeah. You younger, look around. This this was our lives. We had a beanbag chair. Yeah. And then we had a mattress. Many of it was an air mattress before we went to bed at night. (laughs) That was our life. We got all the stuff now. Yeah. We worked for it. How'd you do that? We started out miserable and poor. Do life on purpose. Be intentional. If you're going to succeed, you have to do it on purpose. Train your grandchildren, your children. Get a plan. Make a plan. Make some decisions. I'm just stunned at the number. Now, there's exceptions to all of this. There's some fabulous young people that are very clear. They're going to go do whatever. But whatever you do, don't go borrowing $100,000 while you make up your mind. All right. Don't do that. Good preaching, Pastor Mark. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much for that encouraging word. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) the good news is you can do life and do it on purpose. You can be successful. You do it intentionally. There's no guarantees on any of this stuff, but you get there on purpose. People aren't lucky. Okay. Unless you win the lottery, maybe. But most people don't win the lottery. Most of you give that money to someone else so they can win (laughs) when you buy those stupid little tickets. (laughs) All right? And even then, some of that turns into a big curse. Boy, I'm on all kinds of rabbit trails today. Have you seen these shows? Do you know that most people have won the lottery, give them five years, and they're as broke as they were before they won it? It is stunning. They have whole documentaries on this, a whole series of shows they did on this. Why? Because they don't know how to handle it. Money. You get $10, $10 million in in, in in your lap and in five years, you're as broke as you were when you were working at Walmart? You got a problem. These are people who think, okay, sit up, sit up. No, do life opera. God was intentional with his plan. We need to be intentional with our plan. Well, how do I know it's the right plan? Have some faith. Trust God. Step out. Let him direct you. If you will trust him, he will direct your path. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, get ready as we serve communion. As we wrap this up, turning our attention to the cross. This is why we're here today because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. 2,000 years ago, he died on that cross for our sins. He died so that we could have life. His body was broken so we could actually be made whole. So I don't feel very whole. Well, this morning as we take communion, concentrate, think about This is a... This is a holy thing that we're doing. Let God touch you as you connect with the body and the blood of Christ. Don't just do this like a robot, some religious robot. Uh, This is something, let God heal you today, emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever. He'll do that, yes, He does that. If you'll just trust, have faith, all right? His body was broken so we could be put back together. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. And maybe you're here this morning and you're listening to this, maybe you've been watching it on television, the internet, whatever, you think, man, I, I, I want what you guys have. I want what you've been singing about. I, I want what you've been talking about, what you've been celebrating. How do I get that? You get that by simply coming to Christ in faith and asking Him into your life. We're celebrating this season of Advent. Advent means coming. Has Jesus come into your life? How does this happen? You open your heart and you ask Him to come in. We're going to bow our heads together. We're all going to say this prayer aloud. And if you've never taken your first steps of faith, pray this prayer with us. Open your heart to Christ this morning and see what He can do in your life. Let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come now, Lord Jesus. Create an advent in me. Amen.